I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. San Francisco City Attorney Dennis Herrera likely won't be city attorney much longer. Mayor London Breed has nominated him to become the general manager of the city's Public Utilities Commission, which saw its previous leader, Harlan Kelly, charged in November with accepting bribes. Herrera is joining me to talk about the highlights and lowlights of his 20 years as city attorney, where things stand on current big cases like reopening schools and ridding the tenderloin of drug dealers, and why he's ready to move on. City Attorney Dennis Herrera, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Heather. I won't be able to use that title much longer, I don't think. No, and that's going to take a little bit of getting used to. You know, yeah. after 20, <laughs> nearly 20 years, I'm I'm used to being called that. And it's, uh, you know, that's going to be, a, a, in some ways, a big change. But, you know, it, it, it's really forced me to, like, to sort of live up to something that I always said, which was, I never wanted to be that elected official that defined themselves simply by having a title. Right. Because that leads to just staying on too long and staying beyond you're on the top of your game and just staying in elected office just so you define yourself by your title. And I never wanted to be that guy and I'm not going to be that guy. I think a lot of people, including myself, were surprised when we heard this news because it, it, you're such an institution as a city attorney, like, you know, the PUC, where did that come from? So when did this um, when did this come up? Whose idea was it? Can you walk me through how this came to be? Sure. This was this was kind of it, it evolved, actually, over um, the course of some time. As you know, I, I meet with whoever the mayor is. I've always met with that uh, uh, mayor weekly or biweekly. And, you know, you talk about a whole range of legal issues um, that are important. And, you know, and then I get feedback like, hey, what, you know, are there issues that you're concerned about? And, um, you know, I I think that something that um, we both mutually sort of saw was there was this void, um, obviously a vacancy and a void at uh, the PUC that it was going on. And that agency does like vitally and, and incredibly important work that's existentially important for not just San Francisco, but California and the country when it comes to um, the issues of climate change, sustainable energy, water. And and we both finally just kind of came to the conclusion that what better way to show San Francisco's commitment to ethical, clean government than to put the city's top watchdog in charge of this agency to send the message that that's going to be what we expect and that, hey, there's going to be heft behind San Francisco fighting for these issues that we say are a priority. And this is something that developed. And I kind of made my final decision last week. I I went up the coast a little bit, spent some time by myself and really thought about it. And I made my decision like, okay, it's a go and um, let's do this. Why are you interested in it? It's such a, a big, you know, change from what you've been working on for the past 20 years. Yeah. Well, well yes, that is true. But um, uh, not really. When you look at, if you go, like, obviously, it's it's a different role, right? It's uh, uh, an executive at a sort of business enterprise, which I find really exciting um, and I'm really interested in. Um, but as city attorney, a lot of the issues that I have focused on, you know, were issues that are in the wheelhouse of that agency, from shutting down the Morant Power Plant to suing... PG&E on, I don't know how many occasions, to mm-hmm. sue in the nations of the world's five largest energy companies, being the first municipality to sue them uh, on, on a nuisance lawsuit on climate change, to 
um, fighting against lawsuits to tear down Hetch Hetchy, which provides drinking water to millions of Bay Area um, uh, residents. It was it. Those issues had been things that I'm passionate about. And if you look at op-eds that I've recently wrote, I mean, that comes through. I, one I recently wrote it, that appeared in your paper about, you know, people moving to Texas better take a, a look at uh, how Texas handles their infrastructure needs. So these are issues that I've always been interested in, even as Sydney, but you are absolutely right. This is a, a different role and something that I'm really excited about and a new challenge that um, I think is going to be very energizing to me, especially as I kind of, during the pandemic, we're all thinking about this stuff. I come to the conclusion that it was very unlikely I was going to run for another term. So this is a, this is perfect fit. And how will you begin to clean up the PUC after its previous general manager, Harlan Kelly, was charged by the feds with accepting bribes from a city contractor and a permit consultant? I think the first thing you have to do when you go into any organization is you set the tone for the culture of the organization, right? And that is something that, you know, is message from the top. You, um, you uh, uh, set a tone for what your expectations are. It's what I did when I became city attorney. I set my expectations 20 years ago about what I expected out of my deputies. And they were pretty simple and they folks lived up to them. Um, I have to do the same thing at obviously a, a bigger agency, right? But it's about me sending that message, being visible, getting out, talking to people in, uh, that are in remote locations, talking about my expectations, what we're going to do, and get them to sort of, uh, you know, uh, they see how I carry things out, but also understand their valued employees who are going to have a say and that, you know, I'm going uh, to listen, I'm going to learn, I'm going to um, get what, what, what the ideas that they have and get them to buy into my vision and to have them incorporate um, what it is that they think is important to get the best of uh, their ideas. And that means a mix of having people in the organization. And uh, there's no doubt that I'm going to bring in some people to, to uh, who have the same ethics as I do and uh, into the organization. And we're going to set that tone from the top. And that's something mm-hmm. I really look forward to. And of course, your office has been investigating the corruption at City Hall, including at the PUC. Do you see that posing any conflict of interest or how will how will the corruption case move forward? None whatsoever. If anything, I think this is actually a good thing and complimentary. Um, you know, no one will doubt uh, with me at the head of that, that organization that ethics, integrity and clean government are going to be what's expected. And, um, you know, in terms of whoever my successor is, you know, they're going to have a cadre of qualified, incredibly dedicated lawyers and legal professionals who are in this deep. Uh, the head of my um, uh, public integrity unit, Kesley Stewart, is a former hard-charging U.S. attorney who's been leading this effort. And um, that work's going to continue. That's how we're, you know, you go to a U.S. attorney's office or anywhere else, look what Dave Anderson had this former U.S. attorney had to say. He couldn't have said it any better than I could. You know, the big investigations have deep roots. And they don't just stop because there's a, a change in leadership at the top. These are dedicated professionals at the premier municipal office in the country, and they're going to continue with their work. And now they're going to have an ally who is at the head of uh, an agency that uh, is vitally important. And they're going to get my full cooperation. Should San Franciscans expect any more dominoes to fall in the corruption scandal? I've, I've been very clear that um, uh, the investigation continues wherever it goes. The work is not stopping. Uh, so, you know, I, I would never say when things are going to happen or when they're not, but, um, 
you know, if there's something uh, that uh, needs to be rooted out, uh, my office or the U.S. Attorney's Office is going to get to the bottom of it. And the work has not stopped and it's not stopping. Would you like to divulge the next headline here on Fifth Admission? <laughs> no, I think we're going to. You know, I, I've prided myself on uh, being discreet and ethical, and I'm going to continue that way as I go out the door. OK, well, I got to try. Um, some supervisors were already slamming the mayor's move to appoint you to the PUC because it enables her to appoint your replacement who will continue investigating City Hall corruption. Um, do you share any of the supervisor's concerns on that? None. If you listen to what I just had to say, I mean, that is a any any suggestion um, that somehow uh, 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 this will change how things are going to be handled. It, it basically shows a naivete on how investigations uh, work in uh, organizations. And, um, you know, uh, uh, sort of I, I know everybody takes a great deal of pride of Supervisors as well, talking about the great work that the city attorney's office does and its reputation. I mean, I don't think that's changed just because uh, uh, the mayor happens to be appointed me to uh, uh, the PUC. Everything they've complimented over the years, all those people, all that great work, all that ethics and integrity, it's still there. And uh, these people are going to continue doing uh, great work. And we just learned that the recall of um, Governor Gavin Newsom has qualified for the ballot this fall, it looks like, um, or is about to. And so the supervisors could put more issues on that ballot, including voting for your replacement. Yeah. Um, who do you think would make a great replacement for you in the city attorney's office? Well, you know, I'm going to tell you the qualities that I think. I'm not going to talk about individuals. Qualities. There's a reason that um, this office has a national reputation for excellence, and that's because we value uh, professionalism, integrity, uh, straightforwardness and how you um, what, how you handle things, independence uh, and strength of character in sticking with a decision, uh, even if it's not politically popular. I mean, in order to be a good city attorney, you have to have all those qualities. And you know what? Sometimes I learned the hard way myself, actually. You know, it makes you uh, respected, feared sometimes. But, you know, you do those things, you're never going to be loved. And you shouldn't be. You should mm -hmm. be willing to sort of make the tough decisions that are going to make people unhappy. So at times. So it's not always um, uh, the best launching pad, as it were, if you want to run for mayor or some something else from being city attorney. Because if you're doing the job right, you're going to make somebody unhappy. And that's a mm -hmm. good thing because mm -hmm. you should have that independence where you keep, uh, you, you know, people respect you for that. And those are the qualities that um, I want to see in the next city attorney, because I want them to live up to those things. And it's never been a political office, even though certainly there are elected officials and politicians that head it. And that's how it needs to continue to be. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. You've been in your role for 20 years, and you said that even if this opportunity hadn't come up, you probably wouldn't seek re-election in 2023. Why are you ready to leave the job that you've always seemed to love so much? I think um, <clears throat> every season has its time. Mm -hmm. And there's time for everything. And it's been, I've had a great run. I've done everything I could have ever dreamed of as city attorney. 
And uh, nothing can compare to the things that I've been involved in and the cases that I've done and things. And I just knew, you know, it's time for a new challenge, mm-hmm. something different. Um, I've done everything I could have ever dreamed of. And sometimes you just know mm-hmm. it's time. And that's what it came down to for me. What would you say has been the highlight of your career as city attorney, your, your best moment or your proudest achievement? <laughs> There's so many, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so first of all, you know, I take such pride in the, the, the quality of the people we've been able to recruit to the office and the things that they do and their commitment, what they've done. Um, and, you know, people have talked about marriage equality. People have talked about, you know, suing the Trump administration, everything. But you know what? I always have said this. I've always said this. And it's still the thing that I'm most proud of. And it's something that didn't get on a lot of people's radar screens, but it helped a lot of people. And that was years ago, years and years ago, I sued the uh, nation's largest provider of Section 8 housing, AIMCO, mm. for something that they had down, uh, for code violations that they had down in, uh, in the Bayview. They have a big apartment complex down there. And, you know, they didn't want to just pay money and say, oh, well, where's it going to go? And I kind of saw something what they had to say. So we negotiated a settlement that got the first seed money to establish the Willie Mays Boys and Girls Club to serve the youth of Bayview Hunters Point. And I used that to then go leverage companies, the Giants, the 49ers, to throw in money that allowed us to build the Willie Mays Boys and Girls Clubhouse. And the Giants got involved with glove driving. Corporations put money in. And that serves hundreds or maybe thousands of kids in the Bayview. And I I have hanging in my office a plaque that I got from the Boys and Girls Club thanking me for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of all the things, all the big cases, that's still the thing that I'm most proud of. <laughs> that's great. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, what was your biggest frustration? Maybe a loss in court or something political that you found annoying or <laughs> what's been the most <laughs> aggravating? Well, you know, including when I ran for the county committee, I've been on the ballot eight times. I won seven. I mean, I'd be a liar if I said I still don't bristle sometimes over that loss for mayor in 2011. Yeah. But, uh-huh. uh, you know, that in the long run, I think that was probably a good thing because it allowed me to rededicate myself and recommit to being the best city attorney that I could, could be. But, you know, that, that still sticks in my craw a little bit. But I will say in terms of uh, the biggest maybe loss that I've had legally, is probably one that was the most recent. And I haven't had a lot of losses, but I have to tell you that um, I was really happy and not happy that I had to do it, but you know that lawsuit that we filed against the school district was an important case, a mm-hmm. very important case. And it continues, but I can't tell you how disappointed I am and was the fact that um, our motion for preliminary injunction was denied uh, and that I, in my view, um, you know, left uh, folks without, a, at least those from, say, that have kids from 6 to 12, mm-hmm. six, I'm sorry, 6th uh, grade to, to 12th grade, I felt that it left them without real redress, without mm-hmm. real redress. I didn't think that there was a 
full plan that the school district put forward. And I, I vehemently disagreed with the court's ruling. And I feel like our motion for preliminary injunction should have been granted so that every grade from pre-K through uh, high school had an ironclad guarantee that they were going to open up as soon as possible. Because when you look at what's going on in other big city school districts, I think that what was going on here in San Francisco was an abomination. So I think that is my biggest disappointment. What does it say to you, speaking of the school issue, which you know is dear to my heart as well, um, that people in San Francisco now can go see games at Chase Center, they can go to Giants games, they can eat in restaurants, they can travel around the world, and 6th through 12th graders are still stuck at home learning on a computer? I think it's terrible. And that's why I'm so disappointed that I didn't get that motion for preliminary injunction granted. In my view, we set out a compelling case. And uh, I I feel like, um, you know, I I don't think that the the judge got it right. And Mm -hmm. I I don't think it speaks highly of the school district or us as a city that we have kids 6 to 12 who, in my view, are some of the most vulnerable in terms of, you know, going through that. I know what it was like when I was in junior high school. I needed that structure of school so I didn't get in trouble and go do different things. I think those in some ways are our most vulnerable age group. And I think we're doing them a real disservice by them not being in there full time and having a guarantee. It really sticks in my craw. And we don't even really have a concrete pledge that they'll even be back in August or how that will work. So what happens to this case? The the case is continuing forward, but now it continues on a slower belt. If I would have had that motion for preliminary injunction granted, boom, I would have got a court order that hopefully would have set out a schedule, putting it under the purview of the court to make sure that it um, was expedited and carried out. It was it, it, it was denied. So now it continues, but it continues on a slower belt. And I don't have that order there as a hammer. So, yeah. but we're going to continue with it. And I can tell you, uh, Heather, I'm passionate about this. Mm-hmm. and. I'm disappointed. Yeah. Another um, case that you uh, started recently that I wrote about um, was uh, injunctions against drug dealers in the Tenderloin. Yeah. And I wondered if you could give me an update on where things stand on that. Um, we now have um, uh, a, a number of people served. We have court hearings for um, a number of them. Uh, I'll be honest, it hasn't moved uh, as quickly as. I would have hoped we've had difficulty locating uh, defendants, uh, and uh, but we're we're staying on it, and um, we're going to get as many defendants and hearings uh, dates set. I think we sued at least the first time like twenty eight or something like that, and we haven't got all of them served, and um, um, it, it's been a much slower process than I than I than I hoped. Um, but we're, my folks are under. Um, you know, strict instructions to do whatever they can to expedite it. And they're also looking at other individuals. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, that's another almost equally frustrating issue as the school is that we still are having two people die every day of drugs, fentanyl. And um, there's projections we could lose a thousand people this year. We lost 700 last year. Um, And the city doesn't seem to be doing much different at all. Why is that, do you think? Uh, I can only speak to, you know, the fact that I've tried to you know, bring a creative way from my office to contribute um, to um, the effort. I know we talk a lot in San Francisco about, you know, services and whatnot. Um, uh, And I think that, you know, hey, there's a lot of, we're making a lot of 
city is making a lot of uh, money available. I, I think that um, unfortunately with the pandemic, things have just, you know, with the, with the, uh, with people out in the street and the availability of drugs, it's complicated things. Um, but I think that, you know, you're getting a sense that you know, the collective frustration amongst people, even on different sides of the political aisle, left, right, they just had enough and they, mm-hmm. they, they, they're committed to, to, to doing what they can to, to solve the problem. You took on former President Trump um, early and often, and I was wondering if you miss having him as such an easy target. <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, I, I don't as much because let me tell you, my affirmative um, uh, uh, and complex group, you know, even before Trump, right? We were doing all this groundbreaking work that, you know, whether it be climate change or consumers, Trump, when he came in, you know, it kind of diverted some resources. And all I was doing was suing Trump. (laughs) And um, in some ways, it's going to allow us to get back to uh, uh, bread and butter things that are helping people. I will say. Like schools and drugs. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I will say, do you know what I think is going to move them, who it's going to impact perhaps even more, and it's, they're going to have to figure out how to deal with it, is state AGs, because mm-hmm. they really had a, had a foil to go after. And they were, you know, making headlines, doing things, going after uh, Trump. Well, now they're going to they have a, a, a nice, hopefully friendly administration that believes in helping out states and localities. And they're going to have to figure out, OK, what's our bread and butter? What are we going to go back to? Yeah. How are we going to help people and still get headlines for ourselves? So that, that's a real challenge for them. I have a theory that San Francisco politics have gotten even weirder after Trump because we don't have any big enemy to fight. So we're totally. all fighting over stupid things like Ferris wheels. No, you got it. I mean, look, that's <laughs> it. Everybody needs a foil. And when you don't yeah. have a common enemy, you start fighting amongst yourselves. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. <laughs> what is something that San Franciscans would be surprised to learn about your time as city attorney? Any Anything we never knew or didn't make the headlines? Uh-huh. You know... Um, I think, I think people have always viewed me and the office as pretty confident and that we always, we were always ready to go. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always that way. Mm. <laughs> I, I look back and I, it was surprising to me that I look back and I actually was kind of green mm. and you know, you I did had a good one, job of hiding it. <laughs> yeah, I had one good skill that um, I was always a really good listener mm-hmm. and I had pretty good judgment, but in the beginning I was, that, that helped me discern like where not to get out front and where, you know, had a thing. And it kind of played into something that, you know, I learned and I grew into the job, but actually I look back on it. And something I really learned during my time as city attorney, and especially when I ran for mayor, that actually I always thought of myself as an extrovert, and I'm not. Hmm. I'm an introvert. Oh. And I, I define that in a way, not that you're not good on a campaign trail, not that, not that you can't get along with people, but where do you derive your energy from? Mm-hmm. And I really derive my energy from... Uh, smaller groups of people, not big groups of people. And during the mayor's race, they used to kid me all the time. They say, because my office is a beautiful office in the corner mm-hmm. and they nicknamed it the crate. And I, they said, I was like a dog. 
he needed <laughs> he needed to get, have time in his crate for a couple of hours before he went back on the on the campaign trail to sort of energize and get things and to talk about the law and to involve with his people. And that kind of jived with, I think, you know, how I entered the job that I really, you know, um, was kind of uh, quiet about it. And I, I, I don't think I was I, it, that I was as confident or as secure as people as I ended up being and people thought of me than how I was in the beginning of it. Hmm, that's interesting. Speaking of the crate, isn't it true that if a mayor wants to avoid journalists handing them for answers outside their front door, they go through your office to get out the side of City Hall? They can do that. You are correct. They can do that. And it goes from the mayor's thing. But, you know, that led to some that led to some tension at times, actually, because the door is locked. OK, and it, 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 uh, it, it it's the mayor's private hideaway office that goes right up against our managing attorney office. Right. And then there's yeah. a door that goes through it. And it's so I was like, well, wait a minute. All this that would happen sometimes, especially when things are hot. And I said, I put the kibosh on that. And I told oh. my assistant to call the sheriffs and say, look, you don't ever open that door and let somebody unless you call and let us know and ask for permission because there's attorney client issues. There's confidentiality. I don't want anybody coming into my office unless I know about it. Yeah. So because people were abusing it for a while. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> so, yes, to nice. answer your question, that is true. <laughs> Uh, who was your favorite politician to work with? That is a great question. Favorite politician. I would I can't say there's a favorite because they all had they all had um different things, different parts that I found interesting, right? You know, when I first became city attorney, it was Willie Brown's uh uh um last two years uh mm-hmm. as mayor. The guy was a great lawyer. So I'd go in and we'd talk and he hit to the legal issues right away. You know, Gavin Newsom, he had an incredible ability to like get people to work for him and to motivate his, 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 his workforce. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, London Breed is, um, I think, you know, really passionate and down to earth. Um, you know, Aaron Peskin and I, everybody talks about that. We have a, 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 a great relationship. And it's true, we do, but we fight like cats and dogs. And I <laughs> kind of respect his combativeness, right? And we, mm-hmm. we scream at each other, but um, then we kind of get to the same place on things. So uh, Scott Weiner, who worked for me for nine years, is a supervisor. The guy's the most diligent person I've ever met. And he's a, a bulldog. So everybody has um, something. But I will say this. I think the one who... I was the fondest of, and I worked the closest with is like, you know, when Bill Lockyer was attorney general, he and I worked together really closely hmm. and um, our offices respected each other. We, we handled things together and um, I, th- I, I learned a lot from him. He was one of the first people when I first ran for city attorney that I, and, and no one thought I was going to win. First call I ever got congratulate me was Bill Lockyer. Wow. So I, I think he may have been the best that oh. I, or the most fun and that, that I, but every, all those other folks have pieces. Kamala, when she was district attorney, we were colleagues, but we used to, I mean, she was great to work with because we had a lot of fun together. So, but Lockyer and I had a special relationship. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think back in those days that she would be the first woman vice president and Gavin would be the governor? <laughs> I, 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 you know, 
I can't say uh, I knew that was what was going to happen. But look, you know, we got in this, all of us got in at the sort of the, the same time. And, um, you know, uh, I always knew that um, uh, uh, folks had ambition. But did I ever think that Kamala would be vice president of the United States? I can't honestly say I would have ever <laughs> predicted it. But, but I certainly would have predicted that she was was going places. And, um, you know, and I think she I, she's doing a great job and I'm proud of her. And I know she's she's. Um, going to continue to do great things and the governor uh he's he's got a he's got he's got a lot on his plate uh but you know we got along as well and do you want to spill the dirt on the your least favorite politician to work with uh my least favorite i i, I what i want in someone is honesty and they don't have to be my friend i don't i don't need to i don't need to have they need to be my friend, but they need to be ethical. They need to be honest. They need to be straightforward. And I, I don't want to feel like um, they're going to do something behind my back. I can't say that. I can't say Leland Yee and I had a great relationship. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, do you think that the PUC will be your last job or do you have other plans beyond that? And will you ever run for elected office again? <laughs> you know, I don't know what the future holds. And the fact that I took this job should tell people that. Um I've never been, I don't think, I think I'm a lot less predictable than people might uh, have thought I was. Um, so I don't know what the future holds, but I, you know, I remember the last time I was on your podcast, we talked about, uh, it was when I said I wasn't going to run for mayor this last time. And you seemed a, a little surprised. And I said, I don't know what the future holds. Maybe I'll run for mayor again. Maybe I won't. I don't know. That's what I said to you at the time. I'll, I'll say I'm really looking forward to this job. And I can't wait to get in there. Um, but that's what I'm focused on. And think like I've never, like I said in the beginning, I've never wanted to define myself by having to have an elected office to make me feel relevant, to establish my identity. So I don't feel the need to the burning desire that I have to run for an office in order to feel like I'm making a contribution. So. For me, I'm really excited about doing a, a great job at the PUC, and um, that's what I'm focused on. I don't know. You've brought up the mayor's race a few times now, so <laughs> sounds like that's the, no. the brass ring. <laughs> no, no, you're wrong. You great. Well, it was fun to. I would run for a I know. <laughs> well, it was fun to talk to you, and congratulations. Thank you, Heather. Thank you to Dennis Herrera for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.